Hello everyone and welcome to the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson and as always be your host and once again I'm joined by Scott and Joris. Scott and Joris, how are you guys doing this evening? Hi guys, I'm absolutely magnificent and uh, I hope you all are as well. I definitely am and I had a really good victory over the weekend so can't complain. Lots of action this week in the Belgian Pro League. Let me just quickly run through the results from the first division. Friday night we had Charleroi and Antwerp play out a 1-1 draw. Yi and Saint-Zeloir continued their fantastic start to the season uh, winning 2-0 over 10-man Courtreich. Solang and Oostend played out an absolute chaotic thriller. Finished 3-2 to the wayside Oostend who like Union have had a fantastic start to the season. Erpen have defied expectations as well. They managed to squeak past a resilient St. Truden side. They won that game 2-1. As Josh has already mentioned, Genk, uh, they absolutely pummeled Leuven 4-0. And we're going to have to talk about one of the goals from that game because it's definitely a goal of the season contender. What a, what a goal that was. <laughs> Bishkot, on the other hand, they have really struggled. They continue to struggle. They lost 1-0 to standard Liege. Uh, Joe Klaus goal, which, um, yeah, they were quite happy that he passed the late, late fitness test. Genk, Finally, got some points, some three points on the board. They beat Mechelen 2 0. Circular Brigger fell 2 uh, 1 to Anderlecht. And yeah, the lights definitely went off for Zulta Valagem. Uh, they lost 4 0 to Club Bruges, who also had a man sent off in the very last minute. So it was very entertaining. As you know by now, we like to have a little bit of a game of the week from me and Scott. So Scott, I'll hand it to you first. What was your game of the week? Well, my game of the week this week, guys, comes from Brussels. Union Saint-Germain 2, Kortrijk 0. The main takeaway is, and you've already mentioned this, Ben, the Union Saint-Germain bandwagon is very much still on track. Still playing very well. Another really good performance from them. Just want to mention Casper Nielsen having a great game, absolutely tearing it up in midfield there, looking really, really good. Dante Van Zaire as well, who's been playing really well, actually, since, since the first week of the season really should underline the fact that he absolutely should have had a hat-trick in this game. He missed a couple of one-on-ones with the keeper that were almost identical and I'm still not sure how he managed to miss both of them by putting them the wrong side of the post. Um, The same mistake twice. But he got off the mark. He got off the mark. Good-headed goal. Brilliant game. Really, really strong team performance. I think, you know, so many good performances from Union. They're just, you know, their mood juice is really flown at the moment. On the other hand, Kertraig, I was surprised by how poor they were they started the game very poorly as well actually and I thought are they going to work their way into this but it never really happened for them they only actually had I think uh, two shots on target for the whole game and both of them were from outside the box as well so that gives you a kind of pretty clear idea of of how blunt they actually were during the game I just felt they struggled to get to grips with um, Union they didn't they didn't really know how to handle uh, Van Zier in particular I thought he got a lot of joy down the right hand side Um, he was finding far too much space and and on another day I think you know with just slightly more efficiency with that final pass it would have been a lot more than two that they scored and they just didn't do the the basics that Gertrude tend to do very well they didn't compete a lot for the 50-50 balls. Physically, they weren't as strong as they normally were, I don't think, in, in a lot of the duels. And predictably, obviously, looking at the way the game panned out, um, Kortrijk's keeper, Marco Illich, was reasonably busy as well. So not not the best day for them. Yeah, it was another fantastic victory for uh, Union. And, um, I mean, it was really nice to see fans here get that first goal because I think, yeah, we can all agree that his kind of performances over the last couple of weeks has deserved that. 
Obviously, it's been Dennis Undabs who's been getting quite a few of the goals over the last few weeks. Uh, shame for Cortright because obviously they started the season really well. Had a little bit of a blip, I guess, in this game. Poor old Matthias Fixels uh, <laughs> gets to go back to his former club and he gets sent off. And I don't think he'd have too many complaints about that. Could he? Oh, just what a shame. And it, well, he wasn't the only one that got booked. There were plenty of yellow cards flying out for Cortright. I think, like, how many was it? One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah of the starting players were booked. It's potentially a bit of frustration there. I know they have had a couple of injuries recently, especially in like kind of the striking department. And so maybe that hasn't really helped. Just having uh, poor Chevalier kind of leave the line by himself isn't really what I think Luca Elzenla wants to do. I think he much prefers playing that 4-4-2. But yeah, I think they're kind of like the hipsters football club, USG. So the football hipsters will be absolutely buzzing right now, seeing how good they're doing. Yoris, any kind of comments you have on this one? I know you obviously are going to do a big roundup, but anything you want to jump in on here quickly? Big respect, I suppose, just for uh, Fernand Riese, who played while um, Frank Berrier, one of his best friends, mm. passed mm. away last week, which was also felt throughout the whole league. And yeah, he's still on the pitch. Berrier was also uh, the godfather of one of his children, apparently. So it must be have been particularly uh, difficult for him and uh, to get on the pitch. And also our condolences, of course, mm. uh, from, from the whole VFP to uh, everyone close to Frank Berrier. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you highlighted it there, but the tributes that were paid by all clubs... Uh, for him they all had their own kind of memories of Frank and like how they'd come up against him and stuff like that and just I think it was was it East End he put the shirt down before the game and yeah it's just so sad I think what was he 37 years old died while just playing some sport obviously he had to retire because of kind of like irregularities and stuff like that with his like cardiac stuff so it wasn't like he was not known to have these issues, I guess, but it's still just completely heartbreaking when that news came through. So for the people who don't know too much about this uh, Frank Berrier, he's a player, a really good player that has played a lot in uh, mostly West Flanders, uh, roamed the clubs there a bit, but also at Standard and in total for 12 years in the Jupiter Pro League. Yeah, and, yeah, and like you said, with for Kevin Van der to come out and play after all that is just... Yeah, a testament to him as a professional as well. I'm sure he would be really, really hurting. But again, I'm sure that's probably what his friend would have wanted him to do. So it's kind of honouring his friend in that way. So yeah, massive respect to him. And yeah, like you said, our condolences definitely go out. Moving on, I guess. So Scott, who is your player of the week? Was it from this game or do you have someone else? No, it comes from a different game, actually. My player of the week this week is Antwerp's Al-Hassan Youssef, who, of course, is one of their most recent signings, 21-year-old Nigerian midfielder that they recently signed from, from Gothenburg. He also made uh, Arioris's Team of the Week selection this week, uh, rightly so as well. Um, really good performance. He's only played a couple of, couple of games as well and really has started to make quite an impression. He got an assist at the weekend there, uh, three chances... A really high pass succession rate as well, eighty five percent. Physically, he's looking really strong, so I think he's gonna he's gonna cope with Belgian football. I think very well indeed. He'll he'll develop a little bit further as well as they adjust to Belgian football. But the early indications are that you know he's a really good really good spot by the team at Antwerp and a great pickup for them. Was enjoying putting himself about, has a bit of pace, looks comfortable on the ball, loves a tackle, good at recoveries. Um, the one caveat I should throw in here is me raving about him is based on two appearances 
Um, so it's not based on a lot of data, but it's based on, you know, just kind of raw eye footage of what we've seen so far. But he's, he's, he's really looking very good. And I was thinking about this today, actually, when I was I was putting some of my notes together. And um, it's interesting because he's looking like a, a really good meaty quality midfielder who's who's got all the tools you would want from an accomplished modern midfielder great tackler great passer looks like he could potentially be a cracking leader but of course in the last few days the pro league has uh, welcomed Angelang to, to to Antwerp and he's a player who who's going to add a lot of bite and creative intent <laughs> to that to that Antwerp midfield as well so Brian Prisk now has got a really exciting job in his hands working out how he's going to accommodate Yusuf and uh, Nangalan and Verstraten and anyone else as well. Obviously, there's Mayoshi there as well. So there, there's a number of combinations that, that Pris can now play around with. So it gives them more depth and flexibility. But Yusuf is looking really good so early on. And I think that's a really encouraging sign for the great old. And we heard great things from our friends at the Nordic Football Pod when we heard that he was coming our way to Belgium. And um, they certainly weren't wrong. He's looking like um, quite a player and he's, he's started very well. Yeah, no, definitely. I was really, really impressed with him. I think he can do everything in the midfield from what we've seen like like you said he can run with it he can he loves a tackle he can press quite high if he needs to but yeah the Nangalan signing like it's a bit wild for those who don't know he is like ambassador for Beerscott who are obviously the other team in Antwerp so if that doesn't just sum the bloke up I don't know what does like he's just he's going to be entertaining you know he's going to crack out a couple of 30 yard screamers here and there their midfield rotation does get a little bit stat with him coming in because for what they're going to be obviously paying him you'd expect him to play a fair amount but he is 33 who's dropping out where people going to fit it becomes a little bit of a yeah some people aren't going to be quite happy which hopefully I guess they'll kind of hope that it pushes them to kind of compete for places and stuff but I am slightly concerned that obviously you've got Yusuf Vestrata and Gherkins who started you've got the other Vestrata who came on Miyoshi came on and then now you're adding yeah you're adding in Nyingalan as well so yeah, it's, it's quite stacked in there. I do think some people might be guided to the like mm. back door later on, <laughs> or maybe on a loan only. <laughs> of course, there's three spots to divide in the midfield there, so some rotation is possible for sure. While we're on Antwerp, maybe, but let's put it all together. Then, uh, of course, during this game, Ray got injured and he's out for two or three months, uh, something with his knee, a fra- small fracture of his knee. Yeah, that doesn't sound so good. That's an incredible week to have if you think about it, guys, isn't it? Imagine. Imagine scoring five goals and then a few days later in the next game, you know, you, you, you get a hairline fracture on your knee, which puts you out for three months. I mean, it's extraordinary. I, I suppose we should tell the listeners, actually, I, I was joking with the guys in our group chat before the games this weekend and I was asking how many he was going to score this weekend. And Joris did actually say, to be fair to him, none. But this was obviously before the injury. So, <laughs> yeah, um, it, that, that was just a joke. And outside of, uh, yeah, freedom, uh, free, uh, of injury worries. Uh, I'd, I'd never wish uh, for injuries of place, of course. No jinx is intended. <laughs> no, no, none whatsoever. No, on the game, it was nice to see uh, Anas uh, Zari scoring again. Obviously, kids spent last year on loan at Lommel in the second tier, and he's now been given that opportunity to step up and he looks a good player doesn't he he's got really good feet two goals in four games from already been in, always involved in the play really lively up front so yeah Charleroi are a lot more interesting to watch this year I think we've said it a couple of times but they looked yeah definitely a lot better moving on to my game of the week which 
people may be like, well, how is that a game of the week? Because the scoreline was absolutely ridiculously one-sided. My game of the week was actually Club Luge against Zoltavar again. Before the lights went off, it was a really, really good game. It was really close. Zolta were really pushing Club Luge. Boston had a few chances. Dompe was like really getting at Club Brugge. Really interesting to see that uh, Philippe Clermont went with teenager, the 16-year-old Mbamba. He got a start in this, which was really, really interesting. The kid clearly is massively talented if he's been willing to just chuck him in at this point. He's come on in every single game so far, so interesting for him to start. Hans van Aken came back in as well. They kept going with De Ketelaer and Lang up front, and those two were just... The Zolta defence was playing very high, and the balls in behind were basically on every single time. But before the lights went off in the stadium... And before then, it was a really, really close game, really, really entertaining. And then, yeah, I guess the cliche is that the lights came on, but the lights went out uh, for Zoltavar again because they just disintegrated basically after that. What had been a really good performance, you're like, oh, hang on, like this team struggles against Club Rouge historically that they have forever last year they got battered like 6-0 but I was like watching this thinking yeah you know what this, they're going to be good this time like Christensen was really really active in the midfield Sorno was getting Sorno so he was getting up and down like, I was like yeah this is gonna be a good one and then it just yeah De Ketelara was just fantastic I thought in this game he helped provide the first goal uh, which went to Noah Lang Lude Vorma then scored in the 65th Four minutes later, Hans van Aken scores. Tarsa Ketelaar then actually finally gets his goal in the 75th minute. He'd hit the post already before that. It'd been at the post, then hit Boston, and then he had another chance at it, and he just hit it straight at the keeper again. But I thought his movement up front was just really good. So he got my player of the week for this week. I've been, I guess I've understood the hype, especially last year with his goals in the Champions League, but I never felt he was really dominating games and kind of impacting games for the full 90. I thought he kind of drifted in and out. Obviously, he's a still young player. So I wanted to see him this year actually take a game by the scruff of net and not just rely, not just them having just Lang kind of doing everything. And I think it was both of them in this game. So yeah, he got two assists, one goal, 80% pass success rate, created chances. I think going to football, we create like seven chances he had six shots obviously only scored one of those but again it's nice to see him being active in that in that front kind of line and yeah him and Lang as a strike partnership looked a lot better this week than it did against Circle Bruges that's for sure 4-0 they looked almost kind of back to their best but I think we've Yoris you kind of spoke about it uh, in our chat it's kind of like if this is the direction they want to go in in terms of if they want to be playing Lang and De Ketelera up front as a strike force like Baz Dos becomes a little bit irrelevant now because he can't play in that same way like he's there I guess if you want to mix it up and use it in a different way and kind of play a bit more direct and stuff but it's just kind of well what is that signing now like it looks very different if this is kind of the line that they want and they can sign players that fit this mould kind of like slight winger strikers basically instead of like out and out strikers but yeah what were your kind of thoughts on this game I know you've got some notes on it to come back comment on that first as well like Dost and actually also Daniel Perez I don't see either of them really fit in this system but if they play keep playing like this of course then uh, that won't be an issue for the club itself Zoltewaardigen is really the best matchup for one and the worst one for the other Zoltewaardigen have now not sco- scored any goals in the last five games against Klubrugge that in turn at least scored two in all of these games I did not get that uh, back line from Zoltewaardigen 
going up, especially since they got with the, with the first goal, like a minute before, they were already caught out there. And yeah, they got lucky that the Ketlar at this time hits uh, only hit the post on a, on a rebound. That defending was just shambolic again. And I'm, I'm still like, their, their defense is still not really fixed as well. I, I do think uh, last season it was already an issue for large part of the season. It feels a bit like it might come back. Um, it's not completely solved. That, that, that were my main points. And uh, I have to agree indeed. Like the Ketlar, I've also always been a bit skeptical about him. But lately he's, he's uh, been more consistent, not only this game, but mm. been more consistent danger. Um, yeah, also like he might find his spots then as an out-and-out striker because he was always put or, across this uh, lineup. Because uh, mm. of uh, the formation, uh, the, uh, the attacking formation lineup, there was always moving, could be moved like anywhere where there was someone missing or to experiment. Yeah, his development is still going on also. That's uh, probably the most important for him. I think that's the key. Is he's just got to add little bits to his game. But yeah, I, obviously I forgot to mention actually in my roundup, the bizarre nature of the, the end of the game was basically uh, Edouard Sobel getting sent off, um, which is quite funny because <laughs> Philippe Clement was just like, I don't know. I, I don't know if he was having a go at the fourth official about the decision or if he was just saying to the fourth official, like, what is he doing? Why is he getting sent off? Because Sobol, since he came back into the team uh, after being on, obviously, at the Euros, he's looked really good. Mm. I've been really impressed with him. But now, obviously, he's going to be out for a game after just pulling down Ali Federa, the new signing for Zotov Alagem, who came on, who I actually think looked quite good as well. Um, In the brief spell that he had, he looked quite lively, looked like he wanted to get stuff going. But interesting, like, I'm looking at that team, obviously, they had Omar Gavir on the bench didn't come on after injury but the youngster uh, Dion Dineva came on instead of someone like Saido Berlahino which makes you think like what is Saido's kind of future there at the moment because obviously he was on loan at Charleroi last year couldn't get on the pitch in this game has come on to some other games I know they couldn't afford to keep him last year which is why they were talking about moving him and stuff but it just, just seemed to be a bit of a waste having someone like that on the bench in a game when you're losing and you don't bring him on I thought that was quite an interesting kind of take as to where he currently is in the pecking order and if I'm sure he'll be looking for a move or something and if teams are willing to pick him up could be quite interesting but yeah again another year another Zolta battering by Club Rouge what can you do Joris let's have a little chat about some of the other games where do you want to start well actually for once I'm also going to pick a game of the week because I find it a shame that uh, that you guys did not watch it so well and also subsequently did not pick it for your game of the week which is understandable I'm going to start with uh, Serain against Ostende which ended at 2-3 which was a really crazy game with which had almost everything in it, I believe. Well, they, we had plenty of goals and we had a red card and we had some woodwork that's got hit at both sides. So uh, that probably already is a summary that's that, that's good enough to, to convince to watch these highlights. I mean, one outstanding player as well, um, like I also want to highlight out of it, is uh, Mazis. They they found another good lonely from Metz. He he scored to the two goals, but no, no, not only that, he's really like, their creative player, that playmaker that will uh, create danger. And also, like, Serres have scored three goals up to now. He has been involved in the, all three of them. Of course, the first one was a bit of a giveaway, but at least he still had the, the vision to not uh, shoot it himself, but uh, lay it off. For uh, Marius Muandil Maggi, who probably should have scored in this game as well, as much as we love him. I think we had touched on that already. He's not the best finisher. But yeah, well, for a team as he can be very important 
important nonetheless because he's always on the run and always battling out uh, with defenders you're, you're never you never really get rid of him and that's uh Austin the defense also saw that uh this this game Saret took the lead at the end of the first half with a brilliant free kick of uh Maziz in the it was in the time added on and there was four minutes times added on it was in the fourth minute of that so actually the 49th minute of the game unfortunately for them defensive errors co- cost cost them a lot because in the actual 49th minute of the game they're already trailing 2-1 not a good start from the second half for them although they actually had the first chance of that and then got uh, caught out on the counter of that for the 1-1 uh, a nice uh, nicely worked goal from Gay Betzner from Ostend actually also had a really good game he had uh, two assists and he scored this is the decisive goal uh, Ostend took made one three after already have gone down to 10 men uh, when Amade or Amade I don't know how to pronounce his name but got a second yellow card there were also quite some yellow cards in this game as well and in the end yeah Maziz scored the set two three and both teams indeed hit the woodwork again so it was almost three three but it also could have ended up two four I, I, it was actually to be to, uh, to have a confession here it was also the first game of Serena that I fully watched and I was pleasantly surprised but the things we said before the season also came true like they lack a bit of efficiency at both sides of the of the field a nail we keep on hammering which is also of course um yeah a logical nail to to hit I just wanted to come in and obviously talk about one of my favorite players Mahtar Gay and just praise that goal because I really enjoyed it so yeah it has been a pleasant surprise to watch them they really played some good football I know many neutral fans might not have watched them I, I guess since they've been scheduled usually at the Saturday spot where there's two games at the same time and yeah that's always a struggle to completely watch a game that's why I, I have watched pieces of games from them but I've also switched this time I really took the time to watch them completely so then I'll go get to my uh, actual round it's which is also a bit shorter than so don't worry listener we already touched on many things here actually I could have mentioned this one that when we were talking about Yusuf Charleroi at home they were really good actually against Antwerp I think in uh, especially in the first half but they just can't win at home even with the fans back it's still a bad story no home win since December last year now I think there's also a stat that I'm actually recycling that I've used by at the back end of last season as well maybe even a few times something else that uh, that I will recycle that does not change is where Holzhauser shoots his penalties so <laughs> I guess it's not a surprise that goalkeepers start to keep them out like Bodar actually did this weekend Cirkelbrugge actually like a bit of a Small fact, not very important, but uh, Cercle scored in the final minutes last week, and now they scored in the first minutes. So they scored in two in two subsequent minutes, a bit <laughs> like the Serest that I gave there, which are quite irrelevant, but uh, just funny side uh, stories, I guess. Hink against Wajel, Ito scoring a screamer with his supposedly weaker left foot from from a longer range against Leuven. We've actually seen it last year, and we've seen it again now. And um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a goal that was what a goal it was and luckily this time this time Hink won I think that was actually in the same weekend as well and I also know that was the first weekend or the week that both Scott and I joined the podcast so I guess also <laughs> that, uh, yeah, happy present. anniversary to ourselves <laughs> do you know there's an, there's an interesting story here actually because you know Yoris is talking about Ito's goal this weekend which was fantastic a few days ago from, from the BFP's Twitter account we actually shared the goal from last season that was almost identical 
to this season's one. And what we actually said was, if you give Ito time and space, he will do this to you. So, you know, when I, when I saw that go, my initial thought was, don't say we didn't warn you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, I do think this one is like a few levels above the one mm. from last uh, season as well. Not The strike itself, maybe not, but like... It, the build-up is just yeah. brilliant. It's like a team goal, but still the, the 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 still also an individual skill in there. So that's why I'm yeah I was I was really jumping out of my chair. That's why it's up there as one of the goal of the season contenders, isn't it? Because like the strike, yeah, it's fantastic. But you see a few of those every year, and you're like, okay, yeah, that's a fantastic goal. But I've seen that. But it's like the interplay beforehand, and like the way they literally just manipulate the love and defense to create that space. It's just like oh, it's just so good, so good to watch. I still hate that we only see the it starting at that point because Henk had the ball already for quite some time before that yeah. I think Leuven had intercepted the ball once there but immediately gave it away to a Henk player again but there was a really nice sequence of of Henk players having the ball and combining their way up to the front yeah and then indeed they were actually starting from at a low pace but then just speeding up and yeah things happen yeah. another small thing then as well a last thing already uh, on Hink they, they scored in the stoppage time again this time it was not so important of course it was a it was already 3-0 when they did it now but they did that now for the fifth time in their seven official games this season including the European games and the Super Cup with five different players as well small small side remark there is also like Van den Brom is not really known to be a coach that really focuses on the physical but it, I'm, that's why I'm actually quite glad that these things are happening and hopefully they will continue throughout the season because so far the fitness uh, looks incredible they keep going yeah no definitely and I think also got to give a shout out to um to Aiting as well in that central midfield spot like the amount of times we were watching that game and you just put something in the chat about him and I was just like this kid like this kid's good like he can really really play like some of his passes and the way he opens up opportunities for other players like he just looks so so good in that central midfield area so if yeah like, I think I said at the beginning of the season Genk are a team that if you don't if you can't watch all the games but there's like a game you can watch and it's Genk definitely do it and definitely look out for the number 20 he is a quality player quickly before we just move on to some other news I am I'm slightly concerned about Leuven I mean I know they came up against Genk in this game and they just got trounced but it, it really hasn't been a convincing start to the season for them three draws in a row before this one one against 10 man's odd deval again one one against circle bruges and then one one against charleroi then they lose four nil all the goals i think if i'm right have been scored by uh by Tomar henley if he's rumored to be off like i think i said it before i think i'm very concerned as to who's going to find the net because so far no one else has and genk were good at keeping him quiet and denying him the chance to score so slightly concerned about Leuven, but We'll park that for the future because who knows, They, I think they've got enough about them to get out of it. But just, yeah, a slight concern. Let's jump on to a little bit of news. I guess we should have a little bit of European football chat. Obviously, Genk have been knocked out of the Champions League. Understandable given the draw they had. Uh, Shakhtar Donetsk are a fantastic side that routinely make Champions Leagues, routinely make it to European football. So it was always going to be a difficult one. They'll now play in the Europa League group stages. That's confirmed. Obviously, Club Rouge will be in the Champions League. So we'll at least have one team in each of those competitions. Antwerp this week start their kind of push for, for European football. They face Cypriot side AC or Monia. That one's Thursday. They're away first leg and then they are at home in the second leg. Over in 
our new favourite competition, the UEFA Conference League. Ghent stuttered, is probably an understatement, through in their game against RFS, uh, the side from Riga. It took an Akumi goal from a header to break down a really stubborn RFS side who were defending for most of the game, put men behind the ball and really made it hard for Ghent. But the moment Ghent scored, RFS just woke up and they started to play and they started to create chances and you start to think, hang on a second, like <laughs> they could really, really, really do them in here. Like there's chances here. But Ghent got through. They'll now face off against Rakov. Rakov play in Czestochowa in Poland, the Polish team. Quite a small club I guess you can say not a team that's been bankrolled into success in Poland but they've just built their way up through the second tier into the first tier and had a fantastic season last year they beat Ruben Kazan which is really impressive I thought I was pretty sure it'd be Ruben against Ghent in the tie so the first leg will be played over in a place I used to live uh, Bielsko Biawa because Rakov Stadium is too small so they'll play the first game at the Stadium Mieski a uh, lovely little stadium over there the second leg will then be uh, Ghent at home Andelect breeze through against Lachi from Albania they now play Vitesse from the Netherlands, obviously. So we get a little bit of Benaliga action. First leg will be in Brussels and then the second leg is away. Guys, what do you think about these ties? Are you concerned about any of them? Or do you think three, these three teams should be getting through into the group stages of these competitions? Apparently, according to the Conference League Twitter account, Antwerp are doomed and they will play in the Conference League because they posted uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Raja's hair in the, from the back. But I don't think he will play there. I hope he doesn't. I think they should <laughs> I think they should be able to beat Omonia Nicosia. The, the biggest opponent might be the Heat actually over there. Of course, we'll have to see how it goes without Frey. Egerstein has looked mm. quite alright, but he hasn't scored yet. Gent started to look a bit better now than last week. This week's, weekend's performance of Gent was alright, so uh, they, they got some confidence boost there. Draco, of course, they, they did beat the favorites, Kazan, from a lovely city in uh, Russia, actually the sports capital of Russia. Can they repeat that is a question. I do think Gent mm. should be fine if they don't underestimate. And Anderlecht against Vitesse, it can go both ways, I guess. It's, it's a tough one. Vitesse did not really start that well they did win their opening game but they were quite lucky and they lost quite some players as well key players that they that they still have to replace and there's uh, Tanana who is having some issues and not playing for them right now which is probably their their best player so that's already a good sign for Anderlecht and Anderlecht themselves they, they've won two in a row now so well four in a row even with their European games included they've got some confidence Mirkse is looking really really good as mm. well so let's hope that he can silence his countrymen the end of his only just started hasn't it as well so Andre will be hoping that they can take advantage of, of a test side that haven't got up and running just of yet Scott I want to talk to you about something slightly different I want to talk a little bit about Beer Scott in this next little section because yeah like I said with Lerven I'm concerned I'm really concerned about Beer Scott at the moment just the way they've been playing we know they aren't the best defensively but what they used to be good at is scoring and creating and doing that that end of the pitch has usually been fine, but even that end of the pitch isn't looking too great. Like you always said, with Holzhauser's penalties, like people know where he puts them now. He is obviously the creative linchpin. They have just signed Shankland, a player I'm sure you'll know quite well, Scott. Do you think that's going to be enough to turn around their fortunes or are there deeper issues that they need to address? This is a difficult one because obviously they've not had a, a, a good start at all. You know, some new players have come in, a new manager's come in, and I think there was an assumption on some people's part that making that coaching shift was, was going 
going to be one of the big factors and just a bit of stability because they were worried about their second season in the top flight and actually what it's done initially has definitely injected some some uncertainty because they're readjusting to tweaks in the system and, and a new man who's working with them. I, I think, you know, there are some encouraging signs with some of those signings. I think if Sanyang can start firing, if Sumari starts well and is able to link up with Laurent Shankland, you're right, Ben, I've seen a lot of Laurent Shankland because obviously he's played he's played a lot in Scottish football. I've seen him in person a few times. Very good striker, actually. Great eye for goal. Very clinical. Capable of the spectacular as well. Pretty underrated, I think, by by most, most people who've played against him. I think this is a great move for him, actually. He's a player who's kind of floated around a number of clubs in Scotland and both Celtic and Rangers looked at him a couple of years ago and were quite keen. But the that thing in Scotland of, well, you know, is, is he up to playing for the, the, the top-level clubs? And there was always that doubt, you know, if you're scoring 30 goals a season but it's for a, a mid-table side, then you're maybe okay, but you're not great, which I think is the wrong way to look at it. There's no doubt about it. He's a really good player and, and this is going to be great for his development. He's physically very good. He's quite a strong player physically as well. So I don't think he's going to have to take too long to adjust to Belgian football. And I'm, and I'm sure he's been on the phone and on Zoom to, to, to Jack Hendry at Oostend as well, who will be able to tell him a little bit more about what he's getting himself into, which of course, as we all know, is very good. So I think this is good for him and his family. Obviously, he's going to be staying in Antwerp. He's going to be in a great city. And I think he will add some firepower to Beershaw. I think they just hope he's going to hit the ground running and, and do his thing sooner rather than later. I was a wee bit disappointed to see him not thrown straight into the squad, actually, at the weekend, which I can understand why he wasn't. But I did think that maybe because of, of the slightly poor start that they've had, that they might have taken that opportunity to do that. But I'd be very surprised if we didn't see him this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I think Mass is kind of searching, isn't he? Because he's been playing Suzuki. He stopped with Suzuki up front. Then Blessing Akele came in. Nabisi started this weekend. Like He's clearly not confident in the players he's got there. Also saw that uh, Shanklin's wife looked very excited on Twitter uh, to be moving to Belgium. She is like, can't wait to get over there and get out there. Quite right too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is really nice to see. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to a Shanklin Hendry kind of dust up at some point. I think yeah, that would yeah. be good because Hendry loves to get stuck in and stuff. And from what you said and from what I've seen of Shanklin, he likes to get it, put himself about. So have a nice little Scottish rumble going on um, when those two play. So fingers crossed for Beersha. I'm I'm just quite sad for their fans in the sense of they didn't get to be there for the, the kind of last season and that like kind of first couple of months because mm. they were just so exciting and I'm sure they've now come in and it's kind of the complete opposite like in terms of style and stuff. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully Shankland is kind of like the missing piece to get them firing again and make them exciting. They also played together with Frederick Franz, his teammate already in Scotland. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's a lovely story as well, guys. I don't know if anybody saw this on social media. I came across this today by accident. Somebody who's in Antwerp and uh, follows Scottish football as well and left rather generously three cans of Iron Brew, which for anyone who doesn't know is a is a is a very very well drunken uh, soft drink in Scotland <laughs> outside the gates of Beershot's training ground, specifically for Laurent Shankland and uh, Frederick Franz as well, who, as he said in the the guys tweet you might have been missing this from Dundee so um, I've dropped this off for you <laughs> nothing like a bit of iron brew to get him through a couple of training sessions that's for sure <laughs> let's let's kind of dive a little bit a little bit lower I guess than 1A because obviously 1B started and it started with an absolute bang and Scott I know you had your BDI peered onto them 
this game. So why don't you become the Yoris of 1B and give us a little roundup of what happened? Well, I saw quite a lot of 1B action this weekend for lots of reasons. I saw the majority of what was probably the most dramatic game of the weekend, uh, Lommel's 3-2 home defeat to, to Beveren, a game which will now go down as having 10 minutes stoppage time and it saw a 97th minute winner for Beveren, which was just kind of quite something, obviously. Interestingly, there was actually away fans at this game, which is not only interesting because it was particularly exciting for them. They went wild, of course, as, as they would, but because, for those who don't know, away fans are not allowed in, in Belgian football at the moment. The, the rules around COVID passports and the situation with fans and the processing of fans getting in, in into games means that officially they're not allowed at the moment. So there's probably going to be some people on the phone asking about what happened there. But yeah, I mean, uh, really quite a dramatic weekend. Um, four games, obviously. Denza won, Leers won, kicked us off. Molenbeek got quite a comprehensive 3-1 home win over Muscron, Enzo Schifo's Muscron. Lommel 2, Bevan 3, as I was just touching on there. That game, incidentally, as well, had an absolutely fantastic goal from Koki Saito, uh, mm. Lommel's Japanese striker. Really, really good goal. Ball played down the wing to him, and he just hit it instinctively in the edge of the box without even really looking and lashed it past the keeper. Really, really good goal. Shared it on our Twitter if you haven't seen it. Go and, go and have a look if you've missed it. And the other game was Verton nil, Westerlo 2, which is, I was curious to see how Verton would perform, obviously, because the players have only really been together for pretty much a week, and they, they did look pretty ragged, if I'm honest, but, you know, they'll I'm sure they'll get better. Plenty of drama, plenty of drama in 1B at both ends of the pitch. I think the main takeaway from, from 1B this weekend, actually, is probably the news that Lommel's manager, as we know now, Liam Manning, left three days before the, the kick-off at the weekend. So Lommel are looking for a new manager, but we understand today that they're actually very close to appointing the new man. We don't know who that's going to be yet, but that, that we're led to believe is pretty imminent. So hopefully next time we're together, everybody will be able to have a little chat about who the new man at, uh, at Lommel is. But yeah, I, I enjoyed what I saw this weekend, actually, of, of 1B. And if, if you get a chance to, to watch any of it at all, definitely check it out because we'll be touching on it every week. Yeah, so you can definitely find all the highlights on YouTube, which is what I did. I did watch a bit of that Denza against Lies game. The defending by Denza for the second goal is just, for the uh, the S equaliser, it's just village. <laughs> it's so bad. They're all attacking and there's only one bloke <laughs> left at the back. Also, want to give a shout out. I also realised when we did our little preview of it last week, we didn't mention Molenbeek at all. Uh, they were the only team we didn't touch upon. So apologies to any Molenbeek fans listening. We haven't forgotten about you. You have kind of put us on notice with that 3-1 win over Muscon to start the season. And Mayen Gillett and Zuzu Mata, who scored the opening goal and then set up, I think he set up the second goal and was involved in the third goal, I believe. He looked a player. Uh, he looked a really good player, number seven for them. So he's definitely one, I think, to kind of look out for. But yeah, great start to that. Chaos and that, that normal Beveren game is what I think 1B is basically just absolute carnage and chaos and um, <laughs> yeah I think whoever the new manager of Lommel is will have them in practicing defending set pieces uh, that's for sure because three set piece goals basically a fantastic free kick from Kevin Hogues mm. let's not let's not kind of think of play that one down mm. but then yeah Great. two set uh, two corner goals basically we'll keep you updated on that as it goes as the league goes on because it is quite an entertaining one looking ahead before we go uh, obviously 
for those who don't know, we don't have Anderlecht, Ghent or Antwerp versus Genk this weekend. Uh, it gives the three teams, obviously Genk already qualified for the Europa League, so not them, but it gives the other three kind of room for that European playoff, which I'm going to be honest, I kind of get, but also listening uh, to people who haven't listened, the um, Belarusian football podcast, and this is a very kind of change of subject here, but they obviously follow the team Shakhtar Soligorsk, who in Belarus were given the whole time off for the European qualifiers to prepare for the games and lost to a Luxembourg side. So it completely backfired for them. So I'm not sure I'm not <laughs> sure if it's really necessary because I think having the games and getting through the games is just a good kind of practice in a sense. Like I know the league obviously wants them to qualify, but having that run of games and being up to scratch and stuff is I don't think it's ever really a bad thing. And the games, there's there's the distance in between the games that they also have. So hopefully it works, but I don't necessarily think it's the most productive way of doing it. It's not like when you actually qualify for those tournaments that you're going to not be playing league games beforehand anyway. Like you'll be playing Saturday midweek or Sunday and then midweek or Friday and then midweek or whatever. So this is, of course, the most important round for everyone. You have to get in the group stages because it gives you six games per team extra for getting grabbing a coefficient points. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's why that's happening. And of course, you are right. But at least this is something that they decided long ago. So I'm not going to go against this, this decision. Also, mm-hmm. I've seen it's happening in other countries as well. I can get this one basically and yeah. it's also just a week between the two games with them so it's not that they're completely going to be out of rhythm and they can really focus on that team i suppose yeah i'm just fingers crossed it works um we really want all of them to get in their coefficient points and just because we love it when we, we can have like special guests on from different teams and stuff like that like we haven't done it for the qualifiers because it's just been impossible to kind of schedule it in but yeah once these guys have qualified fingers crossed um for the group stages we'll definitely secure some special episodes and we think this conference league is going to throw up a couple of um couple of wild ones judging by how kind of it's gone so far of those teams that are playing this weekend scott i'll jump to you first what game are you looking forward to the most i am looking forward to the most Leuven's home game against open because uh, regular listeners will know open have actually had a surprisingly good start to the season and i'm the one who tipped them potentially to go down so i'm looking forward to kind of watching them again actually yeah, no, that should be a good one. Yours, what one are you looking forward to? Yeah, I'm going to pick an unusual one, uh, Zoltovarium against Charleroi, uh, both, for both two reasons. How, is, how to, uh, will Zoltovarium bounce back after their big defeat? And uh, Charleroi have been a joy to, well, have been a good side to watch in comparison uh, to last season. So yeah, this could be interesting. Yeah, no, definitely on Charleroi. I think even might be watching them and think, might not actually find them as entertaining as we are, but we're just comparing them to last year. So I'm going for Selang against Circle Bruges. Uh, as yours said earlier Selang have always been on at like half five UK time so it's always clashed but this week they're on the Saturday at 3.15 UK time so like quarter past four Belgian time so they're definitely going to be available for people to watch and I think that's a massive game Circle obviously have struggled to start this season like they've dug themselves out of a couple of holes thanks to some uh, Valdo Rubio late goals but this is one game I think they'll have put down on the schedule that they want to win and I think Selang would have targeted this game thinking yeah this is a winnable game as well so I think it should be a really really interesting one outside of that we have Standard Liège against East End on the Friday night St. Truden host Courtlike on the Saturday evening and then Paul Bierschott have to go to Club Brugge on the Sunday afternoon and then Sunday evening we have Mechelen who could really do with getting some points and a good performance they host kind of team of the moment I guess in Union saint Gerois. over in 1B if that is what you fancy this weekend Sunday we have Vesselo against Molenbeek. Musclon, obviously off the back of that 3-1 defeat, they have to go up against Lommel, who also lost to both teams looking to kind of get their seasons on track there. Uh, Lies, 
host Vieton. That could be a game that's kind of a relegation six-pointer, I believe. And then Beveren uh, host Denza on the Sunday to round that off. So plenty of action within the Belgian football pyramids. I guess we also had the cup kind of started the other week with all the kind of amateur teams playing. Unfortunately, the City Pirates of Antwerp didn't make it through. I really wanted to see them because <laughs> that's just a fantastic name. I have no idea what they're about or anything like that. Joris could tell us that they're at like a massively dodgy club or something like that, but they just look like a fantastic name. So unfortunately, they won't be there. But there's some other teams that are banging around in there that will kind of rear their heads at some point when they get drawn against the big boys so we'll wait to see that outside of their uh, name they're also really cool clubs uh, from a lower division i can tell you that uh, definitely regarding community working amazing scott and yours as always thank you so much for joining me cheers guys we'll um we'll see you next week everyone yes enjoying this one and see you next week hear you next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah you won't see us you'll definitely hear us um if any of you are interested in freelancing and football you know by now, check out Freelance Football Ops. Uh, they've also opened up a US-based uh, side of the operation as well. So if you are US-based, definitely check out that side of things. And as always, if you enjoy listening to us, we'd love it if you leave us a little review on the podcast application that you use. Uh, if you aren't able to do that, you can always just get in touch with us and tell us what you think. Uh, hopefully nice things. Uh, on Twitter, we're at Belgium Podcast. Individually, you can find me. I'm at BenJack94. Scott is at Scott underscore coin. And Yoris is at Yoris underscore bet. Alternatively, if you don't want to contact us on Twitter or Facebook or on Instagram, BelgianFootPodcast at gmail.com is our email address. Thank you once again for listening to this episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. And we'll speak to you very soon. Mm-hmm.